Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Have you ever walked into a forest or stepped through the threshold of someone's home and instantly felt as though something was off? Not necessarily wrong, just off. Off tilt, off center, not normal, and overall odd. The room feels cold, although the windows are all closed, and the air feels electric. You look around to see if anyone else is feeling what you're feeling, but it seems that it's just you. It is very likely that you might have just stepped into a thin place. Thin places are known as places where the barriers between the real world and the eternal world are at their weakest. There's a veil separating the world of the living with the world of the unexplainable and unknown. And these thin places are spots in the world where that veil is especially thin. The term thin place comes from the Irish Celts, who, before they were taken over by the Christian culture of Western Europe, believed that these places of thinness were spread across the land and could work as portals for different people and beings. Celebrations like Samhain are known for their ability to bend time and space, allowing the long-deceased to step back into the world of the living due to the thinness of reality that the celebration brings. During Samhain, it is almost expected for people to be able to come back from the other world and cohabitate with the living. But Samhain is just one night. Thin places are places that are thin all the time. It doesn't matter the time of the day or the day of the year. The ancient Celts developed the concept of thin places long before Western Christianity came and dominated their people and culture. When Christianity did arrive, they incorporated thin places into their spiritual practices. As the years have gone by, thin places in popular culture have turned into places connected with organized religion. Websites that speak about thin places now include churches, popular spots of religious pilgrimages, and locations associated with saints or martyrs. Thin places are now known as places where you can go to be closer to God. The Celts, being polytheistic, saw thin places as not just places where you can go to be closer to different gods and goddesses, but also places where the supernatural and enigmatic could mesh with the real and tangible. It had very little to do with God or the church, despite what current definitions show. There are places throughout Ireland that residents believe are considered thin places. The Hill of Osnick in County Westmeath. These hills overlook several different counties on clear and serene mornings and are on many people's travel bucket lists. But it's not just the serenity that people get from looking out at a beautiful sunrise that cements its position as a thin place. Ritual fires used to burn on Osnick, and the position of the hills are so that when the fires began to burn, it could be seen some counties over, signaling others to begin their fires. The chain would continue so on and so on, so that eventually you could see ritual fires burning in all 12 neighboring counties. Ley lines are supposed lines that encircle the globe and are charged with energy in a way that charges supernatural activity. 
odd things happen in places that sit on top of ley lines. All energy ley lines in Ireland supposedly meet and converge at the hill of Osnik. The hill is also said to be the burial site for the goddess Iru, the goddess in which Ireland draws its name from. Her presence on the hill, along with being the converging point for all of the ley lines in Ireland, make Usnik an optical location for a thin place. Another thin place of fascination is Boa Island, Cal Drag Cemetery in County Farmanagh. The ancient cemetery is home to two stone figures, which are focal points on the grounds. One of the figures is known as the Lusty Man. He is a small statue who gets his name from his home Lusty Beg in Northern Ireland. His companion, known as the Janus figure, is the figure that accrues the most attention. The Janus figure is a large statue standing at about three feet tall and has a face and torso carved onto its sides. It is named after the Roman god Janus, whose two faces are all seeing. Janus is the god of gates and doors and holds the key to the doors that lead to what has already come to pass and what will eventually be. Visitors to Caldrag Cemetery report being followed by the gaze of the Janus statue and say that regardless of where they are in the cemetery, the statue always has eyes on them. With Janus's status as a god in command of doors that lead to different planes of time and space, it is obvious to see why people would consider this location a sacred thin place. So if areas around the world can be considered thin places, can people be thin places too? There are people who, for unexplainable reasons, draw in the supernatural. They are magnets, which attract the spirits and outer forces that are waiting on the other side of the veil. These people are more likely to see spirits or pick up on vibrations from the unknown. They also have the ability to contact the dead more easily than their non-magnetizing compatriots, and therefore are more susceptible to attacks or even just brushes with the supernatural. People who are thin places can travel around the world or just across the street and be followed by invisible forces unseen to others. Think of Kaldrag Cemetery. It is a place, a fixed location on the planet. When you visit the cemetery, you can experience all sorts of things, but once you leave, the feeling will subside and you can go back to your regular life. For people who are thin places, that feeling never goes away. You are the thin point in the barrier between our world and the other world, and so you can and will be followed by the things beyond that want to take advantage of that flexibility. Whether those waiting things are there for the good or the bad, it's impossible to tell. The concept of being a thin place can be frightening to some. On one hand, you have a gift that gives you the opportunity to look into a world that most people can only imagine in their dizziest of daydreams. And on the other hand, you are resigning yourself to a life filled with unexplainable occurrences and visits from spirits or beings that have not walked the earth in years, or maybe even ever. You're never alone, and yet, you are perpetually alone, 
with very few people who can relate to what you're going through. People who are thin places are beacons to roaming spirits. These spirits see one of these exceptional people and see an opportunity to reach out into our world. Whether they want to communicate with someone specific or they just want to be seen or heard by someone, they are almost compelled to reach out. A thin place person attracts the unexplainable and that is something that they have to learn how to manage. Do they ignore it? lean into it, or just become selective as to who and what they acknowledge. It would be naive to assume that everything that makes their presence known is friendly and just wants someone to talk to. There are some things that, whether we want to admit it or not, wish us harm and are just waiting for the moment to strike. The story you're about to hear is that of a man who thought that the things he had been seeing since he was a child were all figments of his imagination. Until one day, he was proven horribly wrong. Alexander rubbed his eyes and tried to concentrate on anything other than how sleepy he was. He was on day three of working the midnight shift, and his body wasn't adjusting well to his new sleep schedule. When he had started the custodial job at Our Lady of Mercy Municipal Hospital, he was promised a set schedule of 12 to 8 p.m. with generous pay and much-needed health benefits. But then, two of his co-workers fell ill, and one went on a surprise vacation to Hawaii, leaving Alexander to pick up night shifts. He didn't mind the extra money, He just minded the lack of sleep. He also didn't like the hospital at night. It was far too quiet, and the lights always seemed too dim. It was a well-kept secret of his that he was afraid of the dark, and working at a hospital in the middle of the night did not help his fear much. It wasn't the actual darkness that scared him. It was the things that the darkness brought. Ever since he was a little boy, Alexander always imagined things in the dark that he knew couldn't possibly be there. Faces staring back at him, hands reaching out for him, unblinking eyes following him around the room. He knew that there weren't actual people in the darkness, but no matter how much he told himself that, he could never stop imagining them there. And it was worse in the hospital. He would see men and women, some still attached to their IV tubes, hiding in the corners of hospital rooms. He once thought he saw a nurse who was badly burned on one side of her face, standing in the middle of a dark hallway. It was happening so often that he strongly considered going to a psychiatrist to speak to them about his fear and how to control it. His mind was creating such vivid images that he knew it would eventually start affecting his mental health and his work. You can't exactly be a good custodian if you're too scared to go change a busted light bulb or mop a floor. But before he took that bid step, he wanted to talk to Midge, the night nurse who had a reputation for being kind of spooky. She was the dream journal, sage your home, use these crystals to get rid of nightmares kind of person. Alexander liked Midge, and she was a straightforward kind of lady, so he trusted that she wouldn't take him too far down the rabbit hole. 
Alexander found Midge checking a patient's vitals. She smiled at him without looking up from her patient and said, What can I do you for, Alex? I wanted to talk to you about something I've been going through, but I'll wait until you're done here. Miss Kelly here hasn't opened her eyes in a month and a half. She won't mind if we have a little chat. Who knows? It might even be good for her to hear a new voice. What's happening? Alexander launched into his fears and his dreams and the visions he was having, but very clearly not having. I know that these things aren't there, obviously, but I think my fear is just getting so out of check that my brain is creating more things for me to be scared of. I don't want to always be afraid, so I thought that maybe you knew of something that I could do to help. Midge looked at him for a few seconds. He was afraid that she was going to say something along the lines of, You're crazy. But instead, she said, When did you start seeing these things? Alexander thought back and said that he had been seeing them for as long as he could remember. But then again, he had been afraid of the dark for as long as he could remember. Have you tried to confront these things? He looked at her flabbergasted. Confront them? They were figments of his imagination. How could he do that? Come with me, she said, patting Miss Kelly's hand and leading him out of the room. They walked down a long flight of stairs until they eventually landed on the third floor. There, Mitch took a turn and they entered the extreme trauma ward. Alexander followed her lead and together they walked into one of the more spacious rooms. It was lined with six beds, three on one side and three on the other, separated by curtains to give the suffering people there some semblance of privacy. It was late at night and so the lights were off, except for one patient who had a bedside lamp on. The bulb was emitting a soft yellow glow, but it wasn't nearly strong enough to illuminate the entire room. Shadows were being cast all around them. Do you see anything here? Midge asked. What? He replied, confused. Look around, she said. Do you see anything in this room? Alexander didn't understand, but Midge wasn't the kind of woman who enjoyed repeating herself, so he looked around. A chill ran down his spine, and he felt as if the temperature had dropped down five degrees. All he could see was darkness, and he clutched his hands together to stop them from shaking. Then, he saw her. A woman, standing with her back pressed tightly against a wall. Her hands were pressed against the wallpaper and see her see her mouth moving, although he couldn't hear what she was saying. What is it? Midge asked. Nothing, he stammered in response, but he couldn't take his eyes off the woman. Great, he thought to himself. Now I'm going to start hearing things too. Now is not the time to be embarrassed, Midge replied softly. What do you see? There's a woman by the wall over there, he said, averting his eyes from his delusion. Before he could actually point out where the woman was, Midge walked over to the wall. Alexander's eyes went wide as she stopped a few feet short of the woman he was imagining. She put her hand over her heart and said, Hello, ma'am. Please don't be scared. 
Why are you here? Alexander couldn't process what was happening. He heard a soft whisper reply back to Midge. I don't know. I don't know where I am. I think I'm dead. I'm sorry, but you are. Why are you still here? Alexander put a mouth over his mouth to stop himself from screaming. I can't seem to find my way out of here. My family used to visit me all the time, but I haven't seen them in weeks. I think I'm dead. You are dead, Midge said again patiently. If you want to leave, you just have to walk out of this door right here. She pointed at the door that they had walked in through, and Alexander watched as the woman slowly peeled herself off the wall and began walking towards it. He bolted from his spot in the middle of the room and crammed himself into a corner. The sudden movement made the woman stop in her tracks. Her visage shimmered in the dull light. It's all right, Mid said to the woman and shot him an annoyed look. He's just a little scared. The woman looked at Alexander for a moment, her gray eyes transfixed on his own brown ones. She nodded at him, as if to say that she understood his fear walked out of the door, and turned down the hallway. Alexander ran out after her, but when he made it out of the room and looked down the hall, she was gone. He dropped down to the floor, holding onto his head. Midge found him staring wide-eyed at the floor. What you're seeing isn't a figment of your imagination. These people aren't things that your brain concocted out of fear. They are people. Or... At least they were people who are stuck here. Some of them just need a little push to get them going where they need to go. Some are going to be more stubborn, and some aren't going to be nice at all. But for the most part, they're just as confused and scared as you are. Alexander looked up at her, frightened tears in his eyes. So all this time, all the things I've been seeing have been real? Midge sat down beside him and put a sympathetic hand on his shoulder. Yes. I've been able to see them for as long as I can remember, too. I don't make a habit out of telling people, but it's also not a secret. I think it's a unique talent that you and I have. But why do we have it? He asked her. She took a deep breath and furrowed her brow, as if trying to find the right words to say. My mom used to talk about these things called thin places. They're places where the veil between our world and the spirit world are, well, thin. Like a haunted house? Alexander asked. Sort of like that, yeah. Midge answered with an amused smile. Well, people can be thin places too. There's something about me and you and others that attracts the unexplainable. These spirits can sense whatever beacon we're emitting, and so they come to us. Some want to talk to us, some want us to talk to others for them, and some just want someone to see them. They want to be noticed. And for some, unfortunately, they want to scare us. They just want bad things. It's kind of up to us to figure out which ones are which. Alexander looked at her as if she had grown three heads. I don't want to figure anything out. 
he shouted, standing up and backing away from her. He looked down the hallway that the spirit woman had left through, just to make sure she was actually gone. I want to be left alone. Do you have any idea what it's been like for me? For most of my life, I thought I was crazy because of these things. And now it turns out I'm just what? Haunted? I don't care what they want or what they need. I want them to leave me alone. Midge stood up and placed her hands out in front of her, trying to placate him. I'm sorry, honey, but that's not an option. Whether you want to believe that they are there or not, it doesn't matter. They are there, and you're going to keep seeing them. Alexander shook his head and started backing away from Midge. He was not going to listen to one more minute of this. He should have never gone to her. Ignorance really was bliss, and he was going to go back to thinking that they were all some twisted figments of his imagination. He turned his back on her and walked away. But from behind, he could hear her call out. Be careful, Alex. Now that they know you can see them, they're going to seek you out. Come find me when it becomes too much. When Alexander made it back to the mop and bucket that he had abandoned upstairs, he noticed that the yellow bucket was turned over on its side, spilling water on the floor. Luckily for him, there wasn't much water left in there, but it was still annoying. He went and resumed his work, trying his hardest to get Midge and this new revelation of his nature out of his mind. I am not a thin place, he thought to himself. I am just a man with an irrational fear and an overactive imagination. First thing tomorrow morning, I'm going to make an appointment with a psychiatrist and I'm going to get me the best meds I can afford. As he continued to mop, he heard labored breathing behind him. He turned to see an elderly man, rod rail thin underneath his hospital gown, staring at him from the entrance of one of the rooms. Do you need help, sir? He asked. The man nervously looked around. He's looking for you, he said softly. Who's looking for me, sir? He's been looking for you. We've been trying to warn you for some time now, but you never seem to be able to hear us. I'm afraid it's too late now, though. He's dangerously close. This man was clearly confused, Alexander thought. He took a step towards the patient, but then the man's eyes went wide as he focused on something just behind Alexander. He's found you, he said in a terrified voice before dissolving into mist. Alexander's eyes went wide with shock. He had just been speaking to a ghost, and he hadn't even noticed. Life was going to get very hard for him if he couldn't tell the difference between an alive person and a ghost. What had the man been saying before he disappeared? A cold wind burst through the hallway, and Alexander turned to see a man, towering at almost seven feet tall, with arms that swung low and long, almost reaching his knees. His spine was curved to such a degree that Alexander imagined the pain in his own back, although he still towered over him, and long, thick nails grew from its fingers and toes. He had wispy white hair growing out of his head, and what looked like purple and blue bruises bloomed on his dry and cracking scalp. Although he was wearing a patient's robe, Alexander...
Oh dear God, Alexander said, dropping his mop and backing away. But when he stepped back, the entity moved forward, and with that quick step, it almost entirely closed the gap between them. The thing reached a hand over and stroked Alexander's cheek. Alexander could smell its hot, foul breath on his face, and he turned his face away without taking his eyes off of it. You are afraid, it said, and the voice that escaped his lisps was a cacophony of voices. I am, Alexander said without thinking. Good, it replied with a frightening laugh, the motion cracking already cracked and peeling lips. The spot on his cheek where the spirit had touched him was ice cold and burning at the same time. But I'm not, said a voice from behind the spirit. Alexander glanced around the spirit and saw Midge, standing small but strong in her scrubs. The entity turned to face her and the sight was a bit comical. A large and looming spirit dripping with malice and a small woman in nursing scrubs, hands on her hips, shoulders squared, and determination in her eyes. It looked like a young girl staring down an angry bull. The creature took another rapid step and stood face to face with Midge. Alexander budged from his spot and made a move to help, but she shot him a look as if to say, I've got this. And Alexander did see that in that moment, Midge had the upper hand, because the creature tried to lunge at her, but was immediately repelled back. It stood up and tried again, but was met with an invisible shield. It hissed and clawed at Midge, but could do no damage. Clumsy with exhaustion, it moved backwards, and with every step of its retreat, it began to shrink down and morph. Its limbs drew back into themselves until they were the length of normal arms and legs. It regrew hair, and its skin, although remaining luminescent, turned a normal tawny shade. A few seconds later, Alexander was looking at a man in his early 60s, with thinning white blonde hair and basil green eyes, a shade he had never seen before. The man swayed back and forth as if unsteady on his feet, and although he still looked frightened to be in Midge's presence, waves of anger rolled off of him and onto Alexander. The man looked from Midge to him, rapidly assessing who to try and attack again, but Midge stopped him before he had the chance to move. She extended her arm out, her gold manicure glistening underneath the hospital fluorescence. Stop right there, Mr. Anderson, she said forcefully. The man looked at her and motioned as if to spit, although nothing came out. He then turned his direct gaze towards Alexander. I was wondering when you were going to see me, he said with a smile that only turned up one corner of his mouth. I've been watching you for a while now. What do you want from me? He asked. What do any of us want? Mr. Anderson replied. To be alive? Even the ones who say they want to be with their families or that they want someone to talk to are lying. They want life. I want life. And if I can't have it, I don't see how it's fair that anyone else gets to. Midge scoffed. Okay, go away now. And if I were you, I would keep clear of him and me. He may be in denial, but I'm not. And I'll purge you right out of this building if you try your little demon act again. Mr. Anderson gave her a menacing look, but made no moves towards her. 
he began to dematerialize. But just before he was gone, he gave Alexander one last look and said, I'll be seeing you. Midge rolled her eyes at the spot where the spirit had just been and turned to Alexander, who was having a difficult time catching his breath. Who was that? He asked. Mr. Anderson, he's been here for as long as I can remember. The other nurses say he died more than 20 years ago. He was all alone when he was sick, no one came to visit him, and no one came to claim him when he died. My thought is that he started out as a confused and depressed spirit, having departed this world so abandoned, but that sorrow eventually turned into hatred and anger. Every once in a while, he hops into a nurse or a patient and just wrecks them. The poor people never know what's happened to them, but I can always tell. I'm the one who has to shoo him out of them. But most times, he just causes a fuss. He breaks light bulbs, spills coffee, messes with the electricals, and scares the daylights out of people. Others have seen him? Alexander asked. Oh yeah, he's not very shy, Mid replied. He just wants to hurt and damage people. It's what he does. I think a few people have tried to get him out of here with blessings and whatnot, but the only thing that's going to get him out of here is me and some heavy-duty work. So why haven't you done it? He was shocked that she had let him get so far. To be honest with you, I feel sorry for him. He has nowhere else to go. He can't or won't move on. We can handle him being annoying, but... If he's going to continue being this way, it might just be time to kick his ass out. Alexander looked around. He suddenly felt eyes on him from everywhere. Look, I know that this is a lot to process in like 10 minutes, but if I were you, I would heed my advice and try to make some friends with these amiable spirits. Even if you don't want to help them, it's good to have them on your side. They'll be able to help you with the Mr. Andersons of the world. She gently patted him on the back and went back to her charts and patients, as if nothing had happened. The thought of returning to the hospital was almost too much for Alexander to bear. Two shifts went by, and each one was met with a call-in sick and a half-assed cough. On day three, he knew that he couldn't call out again without the risk of losing his job, so he got dressed and went to work. Thankfully, he was back to his regular schedule and didn't have to endure the dark hallways for long. But right before he was scheduled to leave, he made his way into the supply closet to put his equipment away, when he walked in on a small boy huddled in a corner. The child couldn't have been more than eight, and he looked terrified. Alexander went over to him, but stopped short when he realized that the child's skin was an unnatural pearly white. He's a ghost, he thought. The boy began to whimper, and without giving it a second thought, Alexander reached a hand out towards him. Hey, big guy. What's your name? He asked. The boy's sniffles echoed, and small tears ran down his cheeks, although they never dropped down to the floor. It's okay, he reassured him. My name's Alexander. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to make sure you're okay. The boy looked up at him, and with a shaky voice said, I'm Peter. I'm lost. I was in my room, and now I'm not. I don't know how to get back to my family. Alexander contemplated getting Midge, but her words echoed in his head and he figured that this was the time to decide what he wanted to do. 
he could continue to live his life in a bubble of denial, or he could navigate his way through this odd gift of his. It didn't take him long to answer his own question. Okay, how about you come with me and I can help you find them. The boy nodded shyly and squirmed out of the corner. They walked side by side through the hospital from the first floor to the fourth floor, even running into Midge and receiving a small smile from her. On the fifth floor, Alexander found a young couple roaming the hallway confused. The woman had a horrible gash down the middle of her face and the man had a piece of throat missing. The couple made eye contact with him and somehow Alexander knew that these were the people he was looking for. They were difficult to look at with their wounds so raw, but when they looked at the small boy beside him, their wounds healed. They reached their arms out to their son, and Peter ran and leapt into his parents' embrace. They looked lovingly at each other before turning to Alexander. Thank you, they said in unison before fading away. Anytime, he replied, giving them a last wave goodbye. What would you do if you had this gift? If you were a thin place, would you embrace it or would you hide away from it? The ramifications of being blessed or cursed with an ability like this are incomprehensible. Your life would be altered forever. You would have the ability to see into a world that so many others have to read about or learn about through podcasts with captivating hosts. In any case, Ask yourself that question the next time you think you see something out of the corner of your eye. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. If you want to hear more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time.